back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, and it's Halloween time, and what could possibly be scarier than creeping right-wing power around the world, uh, especially here in the United States, as we enter the final stages of our election season in 2020. This week, we're going to be talking about various updates on right-wing power in the United States and the rest of the world and a historically relevant see you in hell for the United States election. Outside of the United States, Hungary and Poland, two European countries that are increasingly in the power of right-wing organizations, Hungary in particular is ruled by Viktor Orban, whose party I've previously noted as being just the slightly less fascistic party in the Hungarian parliament. They have an actual fascist party in parliament as well, but that's not the prime minister's party. In any case, Poland and Hungary are working together to create what they are going to call, quote, a rule of law institute to counter what they perceive as the unfair perspective that the rest of the European Union members have on their increasingly right-wing governance style. Now, for those of you who've been paying attention, in Poland there were recent judicial decisions that effectively made abortion all but completely illegal in the country. Uh, There have been days and days, uh, weeks at this point, in fact, of protests against this. Poland has also seen a recent surge in nationalist uprising, nationalist marches, nationalist organizing in the country. So the fact that these two countries are cooperating together as a sort of nationalist, authoritarian, misogynist front in the European Union should be really disturbing. I mean, it is really disturbing. Uh, We're going to unfortunately see how that unfolds as time goes on. In Latin America, in the wake of Bolivia's recent election of the MAS party to the presidency and to the Congress, the fascists and right-wingers in Bolivia that had previously been benefiting from the right-wing power that took over the country following the coup last year have been trying to use the rhetoric of human rights abuses to describe, quote, human rights abuses, uh, to describe their experience now that they are being ruled by socialists. Um, of course, the socialists haven't actually taken office yet, but what I, I bring this up to to remind people that the right often co-opts language of social justice uh, or of human rights in order to advocate for what it perceives to be its own interests, right? The right wing will talk about freedom of speech. They'll talk about freedom of assembly. They'll talk about these kinds of things. We see this in the United States. If you're a United States observer, uh, we also see this in other countries much you know, that resemble the United States, such as the United Kingdom or Australia. These are places where the right wing will talk about, you know, they're just exercising their freedom of speech when what they mean that they want to do is that they want to walk around in public with guns and scream at people. Of course, the other main news concerning the right wing in Latin America this week is the recent referendum on writing a new constitution in Chile. Uh, For those of you who are unaware, the currently operative Chilean constitution was promulgated in 1980 during the Pinochet regime, was effectively written by cronies of his ideologues, quasi-fascist and hyper-conservative jurists and political theorists in Chile uh, with consultation from similar jurists elsewhere. So the fact that this constitution has been defeated, that it is going to be rewritten, uh, is an extreme victory over the forces of the right wing in Latin America and should be a really heartening case for observers outside of Chile and Latin America. So 
uh, that's extremely good news in a time that we really need some. In the United States, we're seeing precisely what we unfortunately had to expect, a wave of attempted and actual right-wing violence uh, coming up to the date of the United States election. That's November 3rd, next week, Tuesday. Specifically, a series of organizations that should be familiar to you, unfortunately, if you're a listener to this podcast or if you pay attention to right-wing news in general. The Patriot Front, uh, one of these umbrella right-wing organizations, continues to grow and recruit, planning for the future, whether or not Trump wins. Um, While the Patriot Front officially remains relatively small, uh, I encourage you to remember that fascist organizations, like any grassroots political movement, start very small, but that doesn't mean that they can't go anywhere or that they won't end up actually influencing politics significantly despite their small origins. Another sort of umbrella right-wing group, uh, one called the Oath Keepers. Uh, their leader recently appeared on InfoWars, you know, the, the, the program run by Alex Jones, to say that they will be at polling places in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere, armed uh, supposedly to, you know, quote, protect those polling stations and the voters from who else but Democrats, socialists, and anarchists, right? Obviously, this is precisely the kind of rhetoric that fascists always use, lumping in all of their enemies, all of their opponents together without any sort of ideological differentiation amongst socialists, anarchists, or just the Democratic Party. Uh, and of course, the idea that their violence is protective violence, as opposed to, you know, bad violence that, 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 that other people engage in. Some very big news out of Wisconsin, the leader and the subordinate leader of a fascist organization called The Base were arrested. Uh, the Base is an extreme right-wing militia. They're, they're a pretty like textbook neo-Nazi organization. They do the fascist salute, they have swastikas, they use the SS symbol, you know, that kind of stuff. The Base is somewhat unique as opposed to many of the other groups that I've discussed on this podcast. Rather than being a political organization or a sort of like grassroots movement, uh, the base is an explicitly paramilitary organization, full stop. Their intention was to organize for violent terrorist activity. The base has been around for a very long time, but this investigation only came to a head recently. Um, and interestingly, about two weeks after a attempt to kidnapped the governor of Wisconsin, Governor Whitmer, was thwarted by the FBI. Now, I covered that in a previous podcast. Apparently, currently, it looks as if there was no particular connection between the base and and these, you know, kidnapping plotters, but we'll find out more about that as time goes on. Now, a less maybe sensational news story, but one that caught my eye as someone who studies fascism and pays attention to its organizing this is really bad. This is a really terrible thing that I'm about to talk about. The Proud Boys have been providing security at Republican rallies in Florida. Uh, specifically, they provided security at a rally for Matt Gates, who is the newly elected congressperson from the Pensacola area in Florida. I think it's Florida Congressional District number one. Now, this isn't just like, hey, these people showed up and said that they were security. They were literally the official security detail. His congressional office confirmed that the Proud Boys provided security. Matt Gates on his own podcast, which, 
you should listen to if you want to know about how right-wing ideologues are trying to spread their viewpoint in the United States. He confirmed this on his own podcast. I mean, like, it's just it's just straight up official. The Proud Boys was providing security at a congressman's event. The Proud Boys are a fascist organization, and they were employed, or at least officially connected, to the actual political rally of an actual sitting congressperson. And what were they providing security against? Well, they were providing it against the left and against people of color and other people who are downtrodden and oppressed by the United States state uh, and by the whole panoply of oppressive organizations and systems functioning in the United States, right? Yeah, this is bad. Um, This means that there are even irrespective of Trump, there are people in the United States government, congresspersons, and some senators who are directly connected to the biggest and most powerful fascist organization in the United States today, the Proud Boys. What this means is that irrespective of who wins in the coming months, because you know we, we know that election day won't fully decide who becomes the next president of the United States, Irrespective of whether Trump or Biden is the next president, we know that these fascists will continue to organize, that their power is not going away, that the threats of violence are not going away, and that their real acts of violence are not going to stop. If they are going to be stopped as a major force in the United States, they're going to have to be confronted with a politics that is commensurate to their radical vision. They have to be confronted with something that people can actually believe in, that actually galvanizes people, that reframes the world. And unfortunately, I'm not sure that the current Democrats are really particularly interested in doing that, but uh, we can hope. All right, on that note, this week's See You in Hell brings us back to the United States. We've been talking about European cases for quite a long while. Today's See You in Hell is Father Coughlin. Uh, Father Coughlin was a Catholic priest in the Detroit area in the early 20th century. His politics were, or would to many observers today, seem somewhat confusing. He was extremely pro-labor, he was somewhat critical of capitalism, but he was also a huge nationalist um, and extremely anti-Semitic. Now, to outside observers, again, especially people looking backwards, from today, that might seem confusing because in the United States, people associate the right wing with being pro-business, pro-market, right? Uh, That is a story that really starts to shift only with the fundamental realignment of the Republican Party in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, which is a story uh, outside the purview of this particular episode of this podcast and even outside of this podcast in general. But what I'm telling you is that Father Coughlin's particular uh, perspective his anti-capitalism through the lens of anti-Semitism and his extreme nationalism is precisely what fascism is made of. And the fact that he was a religious leader should not be surprising either. Um, The connections between fascism and religion, and particularly in many cases, especially where I study in Latin America, the Catholic Church, should be a surprise to no one. Now, Father Coughlin was in favor of FDR at first, because FDR was a Democrat. And at the time, the Democrats were the party of both segregation in the South 
and of labor power in the North, which was precisely what Father Coughlin was all for. However, he came to oppose FDR and New Deal politics specifically because FDR was not uh, hard enough on Jewish people. He accused FDR of being, quote, in the pockets of bankers, and by bankers, he literally meant Jewish people and would occasionally just say Jewish people. Uh, because it was the 1930s, people were a lot more blatant about their anti-Semitism than they are today when people hide behind words like globalist uh, when they want to be bigoted in that particular and disgusting way. As time went on, throughout the 1920s and 30s, Father Coughlin became increasingly obvious in his fascism and his, like, fascophilia, you know, his affiliation with fascist groups. Um, Specifically, he began to praise Hitler, Mussolini, and Franco, for their fascistic politics after they took power in their respective countries. He started what he called a social justice movement. Um, And that might sound incongruous today as uh, something that is uh, a right-wing politics, but what he meant was that uh, society should be organized for the benefit of, you know, the deserving people. Um, By that he means white men. The exact fascist demographic. As the 1930s became the 1940s and the United States entered World War II, Father Coughlin's perspective became more obviously fascistic and more obviously anti-U.S. until eventually his program was banned as being essentially foreign propaganda, as, as, you know, being fascist propaganda that was too much in line with the enemies of the United States. Uh, After his radio show was banned, Father Coughlin returned to life as a parish priest in relative obscurity until his death this week in history, October 27th, 1979. He lasted quite a long time after he uh, lost his uh, soapbox. So, Father Coughlin, we'll see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. I'd like to thank Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our graphics and intro and outro music. And I will talk to you next week. And if you are in the United States and haven't already, please vote. And then, of course, get organized.